Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca slash IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions of returning welcome to uh, Mr. Richard Simpson. How are you doing, Richard? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, Tyler? I'm good. So good to have you on. And this is an episode of Following the Money. So you were on before back in, I look, I look back way back, feels like a lifetime ago, January 2021, episode 115. So if anybody's curious, please, by all means, go check it out. But the first time we had you on, we talked a little bit about your te- the, the, the cool technology you guys work on at Zero Key and what you do. And today, Follow the Money, we're going to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of how it's built to, how it's been to build the business in Alberta, funding, staffing, all the fun things that... Mm-hmm. that uh, <laughs> never cease to be on the plate when you're building an organization. So before we get into that, let's do the quick elevator pitch. Tell us what Zero Key is all about and we'll go from there. <laughs> all right, put me on the spot right away. 100%. Uh, yeah, so Zero Key, what do we do? We we are uh, an RTLS system, so a real-time location system. And essentially, our kind of key differentiator to the market is that we can do hyper-accurate tracking of assets uh, in industrial environments. And that asset could be hands of an employee, it could be an AGV, it could be a high value asset, it could be anything. And we can digitize uh, an entire environment. So we can really kind of light up and, and close that loop of digitization. So everyone talks about companies moving to digitization and what does it look like, how, what does it feel? Most people talk about the software side of it, um, but if you don't have sensors that can give you accurate information, then it's garbage in, garbage out, or you're making things up. So we're, <laughs> yes. uh, we're providing that, uh, that key, key piece of information that allows uh, industrial companies to really, really understand what's happening in their environments. So for the average layman, I think of, you know, location services, I often think GPS and I think globally and I think outside, I think my car here and my house there and I'm going there. But you're talking about is mapping out fully inside like a large warehouse, a production facility, uh, manufacturing line, anywhere where there's multiple things moving around and also repeatable processes being being executed over and over and over again. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, we're, you can think of us like an indoor GPS. If you okay. drive into a downtown core of a city and you have big, big buildings around and it blocks the satellites, then you get less tracking of, of your vehicle. For mm-hmm. us, we do the same thing in, in indoor environments. But the great thing for us is we can add more satellites. So we call them anchor nodes. Okay. So we can increase our redundancy of being able to track, depending on what the use case is for a client. 
and and be able to to light it up without having any problems. So um, we we're much more uh, flexible, shall we say, than a GPS system. Uh, but we're we're 1.5 millimeters in in accuracy in 3D. So uh, we also blow GPS out of the mark out of the water when it comes to their capabilities because it's more like four to five meters. So right. But I do appreciate you you guys control more of the variables inside inside yeah. the, the. Do you have when you work with a company? Do you typically would you would you go in and like okay we're going to test it on this certain area and go okay wow that worked now let's you know I like you turn light up. Uh, light up the whole facility, basically eliminating yep. your blind spots is what makes me think about when you say light up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we definitely have that kind of land and expand mentality. Uh, yep. As I said, our key differentiator is that accuracy. There are other technologies out there that can track things in, in indoor spaces, <laughs> um, but those technologies are either at millimeter or really centimeter or, or meter level at best. Okay. And, uh, and for us, you know, we, we usually will look at what is that use case that really is the pain point that a client hasn't been able to achieve before and close that loop of being able to track whatever, whatever the process or the, or the item is that we're tracking. Um, and then once we've done that, you know, why would you want two, three, four different solutions in an environment when we can do that micro as well as macro. And we can build a mesh network in an environment with multiple use cases, all based on the same technology. Versus the simple, where did I happen to leave that pallet of stuff that's sitting <laughs> yeah. back to the meter uh, yep. versus, you yep. know, I've toured your facility and seeing literally somebody assembling a part and it tracking the sensor on their wrist, uh, wristband to know when they did or didn't pick the part up off the tray and put it into the position. So that's yeah. when all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, I see the power of seeing it, right? You can hear it oh, and exactly. get, kind of get it, but literally being able to guide someone through and know in which order they tightened the bolts on the pump yeah. to make sure the torque settings are correct. Like you guys are right down to that level of human precision as well, not just part location and part movement. Exactly. So it's that human machine interaction that we can start to, to bring together for clients. And we just came back from Hanover Messe in Germany uh, a few weeks ago, and it was the best show we've ever done. And, and for two reasons. One, our demo is at, a, at a, an even better level than it's ever been. Um, but that event is totally focused at people that are in our space. Whereas going to something like CES, it's such a broad, uh, a broad array of things that are happening and a lot of shiny pennies. Um, so when people actually saw what we were doing and it essentially had what you saw in our office is it's like a mini uh, smart factory. So being able to tie everything from just in time uh, of kidding to delivery to, to a manufacturing point and then the actual manufacturing and tracking of that process so it's all about optimization real-time tracking for QR and QA uh, being able to understand you know from a from a time management perspective we can digitize what people currently are doing with a stopwatch and a clipboard when it comes to trying to do time studies so we're we've really changed the scope and scale of what clients can do which then if you talk about you know optimization and really, you know, transformation from digital, you've got a whole different set of metrics and a whole different way to look at it to then start to really think about like, okay, you know, this, if we make this change, here's the actual impact we will have versus the clipboard yeah. and the, and the stopwatches, which I, yep. I get it. That's what we're, that's, you know, what we're competing with is the way we used yep. to do it or the only way we had access to it. So yeah. let's, let's, let's blow up the business a little bit in terms of how long you guys been around. What's been the timeline just to give us the kind of the context of where you're at in your journey that way. Sure. So we uh, we were incorporated, um, I guess, six years ago in May. So we're okay. just over six years old now. Six years ago in May. And how has been the journey? Like first couple of years getting the, how long have you been at the table? 
So I've been here for four years. So okay. I okay. joined. I joined just when the company was um, pivoting, as as some people like to hear and some people don't like to hear. <laughs> uh, and and we talked about this briefly in the in the first uh, podcast. We were an ARVR focused company doing tracking in that space. And uh, 2018 in Barcelona at Mobile World Congress, a serendipitous meeting of a uh, major car manufacturer. Uh, pivoted us into that industrial space and we just saw the scope and scale of what we could do there being just monumentally bigger. So mm. that's when I joined the company um, and uh, and we haven't looked back. So we were oh, barely double digits when I joined and some of those people were students that were kind of here and there and yep. you know on the summer they were here full time and then during classes they were part time and now we're over 40 employees and uh, trying to hire rapidly as rapidly as we can right now. Um, so our trajectory, we're anticipating, you know, close to 60 by the end of the year, if we can pull it off and, uh, and access to that talent is the hardest thing. And, uh, who knows, by the end of next year, I would anticipate we're looking at, th at three digits. Oh, fantastic. Talk to me a little bit about, I love the, a chance meeting. You said, you know, the serendipity yeah. of like, oh, was that more of a case of, of literally a manufacturer looking at you and saying, or looking at your offering and saying, yeah, this is great could you do this or what if, or, or was it that moment of really falling in love with a different problem or, and how informed or how aware was that customer to say, you know what, this is actually what I need. I see you've got a piece of it. What if you added this? I'm just because yeah. so many startups, you look at where they've arrived and think that was the journey all along, which is very rarely <laughs> the case. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it was, it was a, a total fluke. So <laughs> I will say one of the, the key things about our business is, is that, uh, <laughs> Prior to me joining and since I've joined, um, we've hustled and traveled and gotten in front of people. And if if uh, we hadn't have been at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona in 2018 when we were a tiny company, uh, this would have potentially never happened. So what happened was uh, we were actually being filmed by the Daily Planet uh, TV show. And they were doing a demo of our of our tech, and we we kind of did a guerrilla video uh, take of this because we were just a small company, a couple of people at the show. We didn't have a booth, um, nor could we afford one, and we just took over some floor space and set up a demo, and they started filming. And as the demo was happening, some doors behind us opened up, and a flow of people out of a out of a session came out, and someone from uh, from a huge German automotive manufacturer walked by, and stopped to watch, and we were actually showing our VR AR solution and he clicked if you can track that that well in that way I know a problem that I currently have back at my factory and they actually had spent well over a million dollars setting up a, a specific line to try to test the types of things that we were able to do. Uh, a few weeks later, uh, a couple of engineers and Matt, our CEO, were over in Germany and showing them how our tech works and we've never looked back from there. That's such a great, that's, that's such an awesome story that you want to, so many companies try to orchestrate or, you know, create that outcome, but yeah. the opportunity of like, if you're not there, yeah, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you never take or whatever. That's, a, that's a usually, <laughs> exactly. you know, yeah. kind of situation. So, so from the startup journey about falling in love with your customer's problem and a lot of, you know, all the catchy buzz phrases that we all hear, this was a case where, where 
there was a chance meeting where you guys were already on the path to solve a problem or a related problem. So did, did you literally have a customer before you had product, like the product, the customer actually was your product market fit in that case? Like there's like get as close as you can to your customer, which can be a challenge. And I've seen a lot of very tech oriented companies fall in love with their version of the problem, not always the customer's version of it. That yeah. sounds like from a like perfect fit, your customer pulled you into the space. <laughs> They they validated our our product market fit for their for their needs without a doubt. So we we definitely were were lucky. But you know That's you awesome. gotta be good to be lucky and lucky to be good. It's, yeah. Uh, totally. <laughs> and uh, and and you know that has kept going for us. We we travel a lot um, outside of the pandemic, of course. But uh, you know since November of last year, we've been back on the road significantly. The last three months have been a complete blur. We've been in Asia, we've been in Europe, we've been uh, been in the states a number of times doing shows as well as just meeting with clients and VCs. So it's it's really you've got to get out there and push it for one. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, we we were entirely lucky in the fact that a client saw the opportunity with our technology that we were focusing in something else and pointed us in the direction and and said we have a need and now we validated it with all of their peers in in the automotive industry that yeah they're they're looking for it and they need it and now that we've kind of tackled automotive as our our kind of key sector to move us okay. into that space um, it really fits into industrial manufacturing or industrial environments as a whole because other technologies have all kinds of issues uh, in those types of environments and we have the capability uh, of, of really kind of stepping up the game in that space and to date we don't have someone that competes with us on what we're capable of doing so okay. we're trying to move as quickly as possible to uh, to get the the market share that we can to keep growing before because inevitably someone will of start course. stepping on our toes talk to me a little bit about that growth you sometimes a small company partnering with big client the demand and the capital requirements and the speed and sometimes the cycles of, of cash flow. Talk to me a little bit about how that, did you guys raise money right away? Was this company willing to invest a little bit and kind of fund and co, co-invest alongside as you were getting your technology up to speed? Like that's, I've seen a lot of good ideas die or stumble because they couldn't, <laughs> they almost, their demand outpaced their funding. and It almost seems yeah. like a, a, a terrible reason to not be successful, but it happens. Yeah, for sure. And, and, the the reality is is some very large companies out there are not uh, what's the nicest way to put it they 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 they're not very kind to a small company maybe even a little mm -hmm. predatory yes, so they, 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 if they, they see the they will use their power for good for for their good not yours <laughs> exactly so you know they they they'll hold that carrot of you know do you want to use our name or look how big we are and your opportunity uh, is is out there so it does get a little dicey uh, and we the first two years of the company we did a lot of work with uh, with companies in the ARVR space and we learned some lessons there where we did an incredible amount of work and it really never paid off in a big way um, now on the upside it pushed our technology because they made us do advancements and paid us a nickel to get there. Um, but yeah. now we don't do it that way. So we do sometimes have large companies, and I'm talking some of the biggest companies in the world, who will say, well, you know, do this for free to show us that you can do it, and then we'll think about it in the future. And our answer is no, we don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. let's, if you truly think there's an opportunity, let's, let's build this together, and we will you know, tweak 
the system to meet your specific needs and and as a result uh, and we don't charge them a commercial rate to to do that kind of pilot work okay it's definitely a tuned down costing but uh, the more customization, sure, we're we're going to make sure that they're they're in it and they want to they want to pay to play. Um, but yeah, the smaller you are, the harder that is, without a doubt. Sometimes you have to do stuff for free to get going. Um, but uh, but luckily, we're at a point now where we've got some really good clients behind us that are are more than happy to pay for what we're doing. And uh, and we just came back from Sweden from uh, after the Hanover Messe meeting with one of our clients and, and in the next, uh, I guess, two months, we'll be scaling out our solution in uh, in their facility. So it's, you know, the proof is in the pudding in, in, mm-hmm. in that we kind of land and now we're doing the expand. So yeah. we're, we're at a pretty exciting point. So, you, you know, you asked what point are we at? We consider ourselves a scale up. Um, okay. You know, we've we're well past the startup stage. Um, Going back to the funding side, we we were uh, very lucky that uh, from the very get-go we had some money behind us with our, our uh, two co-founders, and and that allowed us to to get a lot of really solid work done with some pretty strong talent behind it as well. Okay. Even from the beginning, we had some people with PhD behind their names, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know since then we've we've done you know, kind of that friends and family raise, seeds, super angel kind of thing. Uh, and then I, I do believe I was coy on our last chat uh, around where we were in raising. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and we technically closed our raise um, right before that, uh, but it wasn't public yet. Yes, we, I, we do. Closed I, our raise I, th- I think we had December. some offline chat. I think we had a little bit yeah. of an offline chat around that. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. so December 2020, uh, we closed a Series A, so we were very happy about that. And and we're we're kind of one of those companies that, that flies under the radar a little bit, so we didn't we didn't push it out there and shout from the mountaintops and we didn't have CED doing press releases and, and all those kinds of things. We just kept trucking along and, and working really hard. Then the pandemic came along in full force and that definitely changed the complexity. So getting in front of clients, when you're selling a SaaS solution, uh, you can you can demo, you can launch, you can do all kinds of things remotely and it, and it really doesn't create a large amount of hiccups. When you're selling a solution like ours, which is hardware, software, uh, in combination, it's it's a bit of a different animal. So we're we were very lucky that we had uh, some traction with uh, with some clients already. Uh, we had a, a burgeoning relationship with a channel partner in Japan and, and launched actually over the pandemic, launched a number of projects through them uh, in market. And we did remote support. They did the hands on work over there for us. And uh, and it really helped us move forward. Um, but on the other side of it, the pandemic the irony, although you know I'm on the revenue generating side, so my heart shrank and and I uh, was gasping for air a little bit when it first occurred. But the great thing is we looked internally and did a ton of development work that really mm-hmm. pushed us forward quickly uh, to where we are today. So our our technology behind the scenes, from the software as well as hardware and performance aspect, has really leapt forward because of the time it allowed us to kind of focus internally. And, and we expanded. We we doubled in size over the pandemic. I had somebody say the other day, you know what, when, you, when, it, when it gets slow, get better, because when it picks up again, you need to be ready. And I was like, oh, that's a nice exactly. little simple way to kind of bucket, put a bucket around it. But, but you need you, to be able to afford to do it, right? Uh, yes, so. I was going to say, very fortunate you just you just closed your Series A literally right before, because I know things got a little, a little sticky there for a little bit, and yep. nobody knew what to do or where to go, or like, well, we can't meet in person, we're lost. Talk to me a little bit about the Series A. Was that... 
uh, your customers I know are global. I think last time we chatted, you didn't even, I don't think you had any customers in Western Canada or even in Canada for that matter, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. So curious about from a funding partner, was that local and sounded like your two co-founders brought some money to the table and were established. So probably also had some good connections. Talk to me a little bit about where you guys had to go to find that funding. Uh, where did we go? Um, so the funding came out uh, predominantly out of the U.S. Okay. Um, although one of our one of our uh, VCs is actually a Japanese-based company, um, so you know we we worked we worked as hard as we could across the board. So talking to many people in Canada, many people in the U.S., and then internationally. Um, but the the tricky thing is, um, so being a hardware-based company. Uh, there are some folks in the VC community that are software and software only. They look at hardware and all they see is hard and they don't want to take something to market in the hardware space. Uh, even come, there are some local companies that used to be focused in hardware which won't touch it anymore. So, you know, you've got to find that right fit um, for our product to their portfolio. Um, you've got to find people that see your vision and and uh, are willing to to buy into the storyline of of where you've been, where you see you're going, and and agree with the trajectory that you're telling them you're going to hit. Uh, so you know it's a lot of a lot of conversations, a lot of pitches, um, and it gets it gets harder and harder as you move down that uh, that process because they start asking harder and harder questions, and and you need to have good answers for them. So um, yeah, we we shopped it around as hard as we could, and uh, we ended up with with some great partners um, out of out of the U.S. Well, based out of the U.S. Um, that are are supporting us all the way through, and and uh, we had some of our original funders. Um, step up again as well in that uh, in that series so uh yeah that that put us in a very strong position moving through the pandemic um i can say i'm very glad we're back to travel and meeting clients face to face because uh it's it without a doubt slowed down our trajectory but uh but from from the perspective of where we are now we we actually as we alluded to before we can move faster now because of the development work we did during the pandemic and we've got clients that are pent up um you know they've they had projects that got put on hold and now we're we're able to start pushing them forward uh, like our, our client in sweden um essentially we're the better part of two years behind on where we would have been with them um, but the awesome thing is they're patient and they, you know, they knew that we were a young, growing company. Um, and and the awesome thing is when we showed up to meet with them um, a month ago, all of a sudden we showed up with this commercial product that they had never seen before. And we got to show them a whole bunch of, uh, whole bunch of our hardware and their eyes lit up because back when we started working with them, everything we produced from a hardware perspective was encased in 3D printed uh, housings. And, you know, it looked okay, but... It definitely made us look uh, the age we were at that time, <laughs> you know. Um, but now, now we are fully commercially mold- molded products, and and everything looks uh, very sexy for uh, an IoT hardware, anyway. <laughs> I, yes, I appreciate it. And you're working, and you're working in a world with companies that build they build things, and yep. they build good looking things. At the end of yep. the day, the automotive sector, and then they've been through their own roller coaster over the last couple of years from like oh, yeah. 
depend on the manufacturer. Yeah. So like yep. literally like so many things, I, I so many industries I would not want to be in automotive would be, I know, but I know a couple of dealers here in town and they, <laughs> they basically like, we've got our inventory sold for two years. We just can't get it yeah. in. It's such yeah. a, such an interesting feast or famine world we live in. It is. Um, it is. How many, how many partners did it require in your series A? Was it three, four? Did you have like a lead that took up most of it? And then you had a few kind of come along afterwards that once, you yeah. know, there's always that, there's always that lead partner that kind of validates sure. it for everybody else. Right. Sure. So yeah, we, uh, we had a lead and, and then we had two follow-ons and, and, um, our, our, our lead took, took the bulk. Then, uh, our second took a, a, a good chunk as well. And then the third took a, a, a much smaller there. They work in a different way than a traditional VC. So they took okay. a smaller amount. Uh, and as I mentioned, we had some of our, uh, some of our existing fund funders, uh, come in as well. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it definitely, it kind of followed a traditional building of a, of a round. Um, okay. so from that perspective, it was, you know, once you get the term sheet from the lead, then people either decide, yes, I like to follow on. No, I don't want to follow on. So, and, and, you know, we, we were definitely pushing as hard as we could for some Canadian funding. Um, but the wheels turn in a different way here. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we, we'd like to think that we're swinging above our weight, but we're not. Um, you know, we have some great VCs, without a doubt. And, and uh, again, do we fit into their portfolio, the view of where they want to be, what they want to mm -hmm. do? For, for a number of them, no. Uh, right up from the outset. And then, and then it's, do they agree with what we're pitching from a vision? So um, we tend to be a bit more risk adverse. Uh, we, we've, we've got... We, we, we certainly don't have VCs with the size of some of the international players, obviously. Um, but for Series A, that wasn't required. We didn't need those that level. And in fact, we would have been too small. Uh, the big guys don't write checks that small. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it was definitely an educational it is a, It is a dating game, right? You do have to match yeah. up with the, it's got to equal on both sides. There's got to be well, that, that investor fit, right? Mm. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is every everyone views the type of information that they want through that process in a different way. So mm -hmm. we get asked for the same information with with six different perspectives. And so we have to tweak this and turn it upside down and turn it inside out. And and uh, so you have to do a, a bit of a tap dance, which for a small company, it puts a lot of a lot of it's incredibly, energy it's incredibly time into consuming. meeting that. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it is what it is. But you got to play the game. Any looking back on it now, 2020, obviously pre-pandemic, post, you guys have grown significantly. Any lessons learned or things around the the round specifically, or, or the evaluation, or anything that you look back, and go, oh, you know what, maybe we could have done it differently. Only because time has passed and we and we learn more. Hopefully, hopefully, as time passes, we learn more. That's always my goal. I, it's a wasted day if I didn't. But thinking back <laughs> from that perspective, if you were giving you and you're just you giving your organization some advice, or all of you maybe sitting around going, ah, you know what, we learned our lesson here. When we go for our Series B, if if and whenever this is what we would how we would look at it very differently anything that kind of pops to mind kind of what's your what's your kind of top three hit list on that yeah so that's an interesting one i i think the process is is an education just in its mm -hmm. in its own um you know the 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 outreach piece of it depending on who you're reaching out to time and you know where where is that vc in their fund how much do they have left to deploy yeah. How much are they holding back so that they can reinvest into existing people in their fund? You, you need to educate yourself on, on them, which is not the easiest thing. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the one the one thing that I love hearing, and I'm being ironic when I say that, <laughs> is when you're at a conference or or you're at a, a you know a networking opportunity, and you have a VC sitting on a stage or or giving a little chat, and they're always like, you know, just give me a call if you wanna if you wanna reach out and talk about you know. Yeah, just give they, us a call. They, yes, they do say that. <laughs> and and but they don't answer that call necessarily. So it's, it's, you know, it's great that they're so open-minded. Richard is officially the, calling bullshit on that statement. <laughs> I will. I will. Yes. Call I, no, I love it. I appreciate that. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, so, and, and sometimes it's because they are incredibly busy as we are yeah. incredibly busy. Uh, but it would be nice if they just at least responded and said, Hey, you know, not a great time and place for us with your product. At least tell you that. Right. But uh, sometimes you, you kind of need to start peeling the onion to understand, are they trying to close three deals right now? And they're just, their pipeline is done for this moment. Are they at the end of their fund? Are they trying to raise a fund? Because if they're trying to raise a fund, they're not going to be talking to you because they've got no money to deploy. Yeah, they're, they're trying right, to they're, go what sell their right. vision and their story uh, to LPs out there to build a fund. So it's, it, it gets interesting. And, and it's, so there's another piece of the puzzle that we learned is, who are the LPs in, in, in these uh, different uh, funds? So, you know, at the end of the day, finding the right alignment, uh, because you're likely going to get more traction with a VC who has people that are funding their fund that have an interest in what you're doing. It doesn't always work that way, but yep. there is a likely a strong chance. So it's, and that's not always the easiest information to find. So it, it really is getting out there and trying to, trying to knock on the door and then do- knock down the door if, if they don't open it right away uh, and, and then trying to garner any information. And, you know, networking is a great thing for that. So getting to understand people that have gone through the process, getting to understand what they've learned uh, and, and build those networks so they share information with you and, and, uh, and, and really you're going into conversations with a wider understanding of what's happening. Your eyes are wide open as opposed to, you know, stepping into a conversation kind of not knowing where it's going to go and, and not really necessarily knowing what the key points are that are going to be relevant to them. What so, they actually care about. Yeah. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, it's, 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 you're selling yourself to try to find funds, just like with a client, you're selling yourself to try and get funds, but you're deploying something there. So yeah, it's, in, it's, it's investor it's fit. Care. It's yeah, and it's readiness where you are in that stage versus, yep. and I've heard lots of people say like, it's still fit and it's still humans doing deals with other humans. And if I'm not interested yep. or have no background in what you do, your financials might look great, but if I don't actually understand your business, it's going to be harder for me to invest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love how yeah. complex it is, but yet when you still boil it down, if I don't, it's hard to invest in something <laughs> you don't understand. And if you've already understood before I meet you, that conversation yeah. might go a little bit faster to get to yeah. like, okay, so what actually is about you that makes you different? Cause I understand your space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, you mentioned uh, yeah. when you talked about, you know, I've had a lot of people come on like, Oh, getting, if you say the word hardware, people literally run in the other direction. <laughs> like they see you, they see hardware, they see hard. I like you said that that's for you. That's you. That's you. You're going to get that line. Cause no one, no, no one has said that before, but that's it. Western Canada. I always feel, and this is my own bias. We're such a province where we've built things. We've put holes in the ground. We've built big iron. Yeah. We've done stuff. But yeah. yet I hear consistently, well, that's great if that's the sector. We all know I'm referring to the energy sector where we're comfortable. This is a new sector and oh, we're not comfortable there. It just feels like we're, if anywhere, should have maybe a comfort level with building things, like physical things. Yeah. It would be this province and maybe even Western Canada, but that's not what I'm hearing at, at all. So that's maybe my own ignorant assumption or link, causality, which is maybe incorrect. Yeah. 
Well, and you know, I think I think it the entrepreneurial mentality is is a is you know it's an amoebic thing without a doubt. Um, so you need you need someone who has a kernel in their mind of of a vision for something. And then the desire and ability to go forward and push to, to make it happen. Um, so, you know, should that happen here? I, it should happen everywhere. Um, yeah. But I think, I think we've been so bent on the oil and gas side of things that, that everyone expects that, that uh, you know, that's the world it's going to happen in. But if you look around Alberta, uh, we have more and more things that are happening that are, are becoming broader and broader. Um, but at the end of the day, bringing a software-based technology to market is easier. So I think you see so many more of those. It's it's very disproportionate. But you know, uh, bringing bringing a hardware product to market um, outside of maybe medical devices is uh, people. It, it's harder for them to understand where the where the dollars are going to come from okay. uh, until you can show that. You know, what are your use cases? What is the value to the client? And, and then understanding, well, you know, that client sees the value, now what's your price? And does that all jive for, for a growth traje trajectory? Because a VC is not interested in putting money into something that's not got a, a trajectory yeah. uh, established. And how, st and, how st and how steep is that trajectory? Mm. Yep. And, and you know, th the funny thing is, if you went into a VC and didn't show a hockey stick graph, they would, they would toss you out, but they laugh at your graph anyway. <laughs> but, if, but if you don't have it, you're not getting a conversation with them. So. I, I love it. And you said something earlier about, you know, being one of the players that very, you do what you do and there's not a lot of people that do it. To me, I feel there's also some defensibility when you have more hardware based. It's hard to just jump in. It's hard to spin up an MVP and go, look, I built something just as good on the sure. weekend. Do you like it? If so, give me money and I'll build a better version. That's, yeah. that's a lot harder to do when you've yeah. got established nodes and gear and connectivity and you've, you know, you've basically lit up this, I love the term light up. I don't know. Maybe I've watched Top Gun recently. That's why I've got that. <laughs> when you light up the where, when you light up the warehouse and that's really hard for somebody to come in and go, oh, here, let me show you a better version. Like that's not, yes. no one's doing that in a couple of days. <laughs> Yeah, without a doubt, and and uh, the reality is we're cruising upwards to thirty patents. So we've got a very strong IP backing our solution nice. as well, which does not hurt when you're having a conversation with VCs. Um, the The reality is being defensible in your space. So you know, speed to market, first to market, client retention, and and having that uh, capability to to hold your ground from an IP perspective is it's very important. Uh, mm -hmm. So we've we've from the from the early early days, uh, Matt definitely saw that as being something that we needed to focus on, and we keep keep doing that. So, um, and and ironically or or not, we already have pinpointed one or two companies around the world that we think are stepping on our patents. We're not going to worry about them right now. And and you know there's just but no but it, it has been there's are, a there's a note on your file. No, I get it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's and they know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> In case you're listening. Yeah. And I've talked to a few companies. There seems to be groups that really get and value the patent process and others that it's not even on their radar. And is when people yeah. get it and see the value of it and the, the is it worth investing in? The people that believe in it, I don't know. I just that seems to be it either gets brought up or it doesn't. There doesn't feel like there's a gray yeah. area around that. And that maybe just my exposure. Well, and I, I think it depends. Um, you know, going to get a patent for the sake of saying I've got a patent is is not really 
that powerful, but having something that is defensible and strong, that, that has value. So, um, and that's where we stand. We've, we've got the, the capability of, of really defending our technology. Someone is not going to be able to come into our space and use our technology without getting really close to treading on our stuff. Yeah. Uh, or, or they're just not going to be successful because they need to tread on our stuff. So. Because that's what makes it work, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. The, so. the secret sauce is that the secret ingredient is what makes the whole recipe kind of come together. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, okay, we're, you guys have fantastic growth. I love the story. When you when I got to tour your facility recently and wanted to reconnect, and because you're right, that yeah. was pre-pent. You know, I started like, it was like, for, it feels like forever ago we chatted. It was only a year and a half ago. But it, <laughs> I, I, my brain is a time warp of the last, it's either pre or post-pandemic and even that's getting Oh, dicey. exactly. Um, when you think about growth, obviously you guys have customers, you have revenue. You're when you think about growth, is it a Series B? Is it the next round, or is it? Are you guys funding a lot? And, and then also just being able to get funds without having to dilute. Like there's, you know, as you become more established, there's a. I would assume there's a lot more vehicles become available to you guys to just put cash into the machine. Mm. Yeah, you know, th there are options out there without a doubt. So we're we're weighing those um, since. CES, uh, we, we did a big booth at CES and got a lot of airplay out of it and and nice. a lot of eyes opened in the VC community. So we actually weren't weren't talking to people at that point in time. And then all of a sudden, conversations uh, started to much, uh, much quicker than we thought they would. Um, so yeah, the, the, you know, the, the next steps for us is evaluating what's the right thing for us to do. Right. You've got you've got options. So do you do you go looking for money that's you know the soft money that's that's uh, being loaned to you and you got to pay it back, or maybe it's uh, you know there could be some convertibles on the back end of it. Are mm -hmm. are you going for speed and then you want VC money and and you're willing to give up a portion of your company to yep. uh, to make that speed happen, and uh, and we're leaning towards that side. Okay. Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we anticipate someone's going to be nipping on our heels sooner or later. So we want to make sure that we are well down the road that. prior to that. So we we think that that's finding the right partners, as we did with our Series A, moving into a Series B, finding the right partners to be able to help us propel and keep that hockey stick uh, mm -hmm. on the right uh, the right trajectory. Um, but we, we're, we're still definitely weighing what that looks like. And, you know, uh, I'm assuming one of the topics you want to talk about is what does the, uh, the current market look like, seeing as we just had a bit of a correction, if yes, you will. Yes, we have. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, that, that's a reality. Uh, corrections happen all the time. And this one appears to be a pretty solid one. Um, I think the great thing for us and, and our position is because we are not just a, a software-based solution where... You could literally be one of many. Um, we bring a very different value to our clients as well as to our VCs and, and our, our investors. So will there be a correction? Yes. Uh, do I think it's going to be as significant for us? I, I don't know that it will be um, okay. because we, we are much harder to duplicate or replicate or compete with um, because the, the current technologies out there Nobody, there's a lot of money out there trying to compete with us and nobody has been able to get to the accuracy and, and show the capabilities that we're able to show to date. So I, I think that that will hold us in a better uh, valuation, uh, less adjustment than, than if we were just a SaaS-based solution. Um, 
But, you know, the rubber hits the road when those conversations get real and then a term sheet comes across the table and then you've got to decide if you like that valuation. Well, and what I've, I was chatting with someone the other day uh, from a VC firm in Toronto, and I asked him the same question. He's like, well, you know, we had those five to six times valuations. We went up to 15 to 20, and now we're just back to five to six. So he goes, is it a bad thing? He goes, I, I just think it's just normalized, and we had a blip, and that started to look like reality. But he goes, it never yeah. really was, and that's just part yeah. of the journey. And I appreciated his perspective that there's still there's still money looking for, for valuable investments out there. And value investing versus the oh, the, yeah. the, the crazy hockey stick with, with maybe not as much substance, I think we just we get we're so drunk on that (laughs) as investors and and as founders (laughs) yeah and and i think the reality is is it very much depends where you are in the spectrum of your growth um are you seed are you a b c d whatever um money i think is going to be deployed in different ways at those different levels uh and and you know obviously vcs are are at those different levels focus wise Mm -hmm. Uh, some only do above C and D, some only do above B, some only do seeds and never go bigger. So, you know, it, it really is, there's opportunity out there for everyone still. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, most of the funds out there, you've got to remember that they, they are, are handed money by people that are expecting an investment and a return on their investment. So they, they're compelled to, to get the money into the market. So I know some people were concerned that, you know, that it's just going to stop. VCs are going to, you know, they're going to lock the door, put the do not disturb sign on, and, and you're going to be waiting a long time. I don't think that's reality. And, and the people that we're talking to, that's not reality. Um, sure, the conversation has changed a little bit. But, uh, but I think everybody still has that, that, that need <laughs> to get the money into yeah. the market. Um, and, and I think it just means that you need, to, you need to make sure that your conversation to your level of VC is at the right point. You're, you're hitting the right things. You know, at Seed, what do you need to be proving to somebody? You need you know, an MVP, maybe, is, is all you need to be showing that you're almost and, and, there. An idea with potential. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you know, as you move up, it, it, sooner or later, it's going to just show up as being, what is your revenue growth? Period. You yeah. Know, once you get to and show me stages. and show me your milestones and have you met them and what's yep. your team and it, it also always still breaks down to the to the exactly. fundamentals and I, exactly. I've got to think that there's that there's an advantage to the fact that some of your customers and we're not naming names but these are these are long established companies these aren't fly by night companies that do things yep. on a whim they're looking and if it works then it all of a sudden their ability to take it to scale is very re, is very real I'm only yep. imagining that that customer your customer profile is very appealing because once you're in you're kind of in. Yeah. And I'm, I don't want to oversimplify, but you know I know those brands, and they don't do things lightly, and they do everything exactly. at, at such a huge global scale. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, that, it's very true. And and you know the the one interesting thing that that doesn't make uh, our job any easier is that we are dealing with these massive organizations. <laughs> yes. Totally. So they have many tentacles, and you're never sure which one you need to be uh, you know trying to attach to. And sometimes it's you need to attach to many um, because they all ingest innovation and new technology in different ways. Some are totally centralized, some are decentralized. So, you know, it, it just means you've, you've got to do your homework on figuring out how each organization works. But yeah, the, you know, the great thing about our tech is, is once we do the land and start to expand, um, we're going to be there for a while. And, uh, and, you know, obviously R and D is one of our biggest things in shop as well. So we're not sitting on our hands and saying, here's our solution and, and we're good to go and it's never going to change. We're constantly working on a new technology that improves our existing solutions. 
and then new technology that hits new markets. And uh, and probably next year we'll we'll start expanding into some new markets. I can only imagine that stream of inbound information and inbound learning from boots on the ground and installations. And we learned this, like there's certain things yep. you just, you, you don't learn until you take the car out on the track and go, Oh, okay. Well, I guess it's a little wobbly here. And I guess it's not good over here. You yep. can stare at it sitting on the shop floor, but you sooner, sooner or later that flow of information, I'm assuming just even as a business, how do you capture all that, you know, intellectual uh, gold is got to be yeah. a trick unto itself. <laughs> yeah. Every, every, you know, the interesting thing for us is that in, uh, in our meetings and conversations with clients, new use cases come up all the time. Uh, even if it's the same sector that we're dealing with, yeah. they just have a different gap or a different a different need that they're focusing on because that's where they live in the company. So we're constantly looking at how can we apply our stuff to different use cases, but in similar environments. Um, but then the environments from company X, Y, and Z could be could be very different. And, uh, and because we are doing a hyper-accurate location system, Getting into those different environments and actually deploying, we learn a lot, and and it's it's allowed us to make a lot of leaps forward in our capabilities from a tech perspective. So, like you were, you got to see our tech live in in, in our office, and and we've got twenty thousand square feet here, and most of it is tracked uh, outside of just the workbench that we that we highlight. Um, so that gives us good scale for testing, but it's it's not the same as being on site at a client. Uh, in their unique environment, um, so yeah, we've we've definitely made lots of learnings from the uh, from the deployment perspective, uh, and uh, and that's making life easier as as we've moved along to to new deployments for sure. I was chatting with somebody and they said, they said, yeah, a lot of things work fine on the bench, but when you get it out <laughs> into the real world, it's a whole another it's a whole another bag of tricks. For sure, you know, Richard. It's, uh, Question That's question it. for you. I love to ask my, my, my I'm going to hand you the magic wand. And if you were going to change <laughs> something, whether it's the investor landscape or just whatever it may be, it's your, it's your magic wand. We just kind of base it in Alberta, but I do appreciate that you guys are working on a global stage. So when it comes to just the journey you've been on and what you've learned through working with Zero Key in terms of your growth, anything you would make more of or make less of, it's your magic wand, so you can do what you want with it. But anything you would wave the wand and go, wow, if I could just change one thing or make something better for startups or, or easier for customers... What, what, anything on your radar? That's an interesting question and, and a little loaded and very broad. Um, <laughs> you know, from, from the Alberta and the Calgary landscape, I would, say, I would say we have a lot of really great people trying to do good things, but it's, it's so hard to navigate. And, you know, there, there are so many different, different ways you can get into conversations. And the younger you are in that process, the harder it is. A, to network because you don't know who you need to network with necessarily. Um, and, and then there are just so many different factions of, of groups that are, uh, whether it's a VC or a cluster or uh, um, an accelerator, whatever it may be, there's just so many of them. Um, in, you know, in a perfect world, there would be a chart where a new company could look at it and say, okay, this is, this is the path I need to navigate. Um, but, you know, I think, I think um, as we did, you need to get out there and... and and be in front of people. Um, so there's no easy answer to that one. Uh, you know, the, there, there's no easy answer to your question either. So, you know, the- It's a 100% loaded question, I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, you know, they're, depending on what you're doing for clients, um, you can tackle it in different ways. As I, as I said, we are incredibly active in, in getting out and being in market, and we don't still don't have any Canadian clients. Um, we have some American clients. 
we have clients in in uh, Asia, we have clients in Europe, and and those markets are expanding. Uh, the U.S. is expanding for us now, um, but really, it's it's getting out there and working hard in building those relationships. And and you know, obviously, at the beginning, as I as I mentioned, even when we were being videoed at Mobile World Congress, uh, you know, we we didn't have a lot of money, so spending money to go there was was a huge yeah, yeah, amount which of money. I appreciate that. Yeah. And now we're now we're showing up with twenty by forty booths and and doing full live demos. And and the cool thing for us is. Even at Hanover Mesa, which is a huge manufacturing-focused conference that is today very focused on digitization, there were nearly no live demos. There were a lot of videos. There okay. were a lot of canned, you know, a lot of robotic arms picking things up and moving to the exact same place at the exact same time for four days in a row. And meanwhile, we we have a completely dynamic live demo, and and I think that you know that is the the proof that that clients uh, need to see to be able to say, okay, are these guys credible? Yeah, this this isn't just a canned demo. We're watching them do this live through multiple different stages of a process. Um, so getting out there is is definitely the most important thing, and and not ironic. We've traveled the world and built relationships with local companies traveling because we're too busy when we're here to, to get to know people yeah, that are course. in the environment yeah, yeah. that are in different sectors. If they're in I've similar had a, sectors. I've had a few, or, few stories like that. I went on a trade yeah. mission and then actually met somebody from Alberta while I was there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. that's where I met Matt. Matt and I were in Hong Kong on a trade mission with the government of Alberta in, in my previous role. And that's where we met. And that's where we built our relationship. And now I'm here. So it's... Yeah, it's it's funny how that works, but uh, yes, it is. Yeah, getting out there and and uh, putting yourself on the edge of it is, it, which is sometimes very hard from a dollar perspective. But getting getting into markets gives you much more opportunity to have client facing conversations. And the younger your company, the harder it is to necessarily understand your product market fit. Um, and you may think we had a good one, but we found a better one two years yeah, into the company's which, which, which I really growth. Like that. So yeah. Richard, thanks for the conversation, the candor, the advice, the you know your perspective. You're you're doing the thing. So and and I love what you guys are doing. And seeing your tech, I I, I got it. But then I like you said, I experienced it and saw it in real life. And I was reblown away. I was reblown away all over again. So uh, zero zerokey.com. You guys get a great website. Lots of cool information. You got some cool graphics going on, which always catches my shiny shiny penny attention. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. And um, what's if somebody wants to reach out and have a chat or get involved or come by and see what you guys are actually all about? What what do you recommend? Shoot me an email, uh, Richard at zerokey.com. And uh, yeah, we've got live demos in our office. And now that uh, people are out and about face-to-face -face -face meetings, we're, we're having more and more people through. So yeah, always happy to chat. Uh, and, and even just from a networking perspective, uh, we try to be as active as possible, even though we travel a lot. Uh, you know, I do stuff with the University of Calgary with uh, the Hunter School for nice. Entrepreneurship and, and uh, try to support getting the kids into the entrepreneurial mindset and getting out there. And, and uh, we try to do the same thing with, with uh, peers, you know, at various stages of growth of their own. So yeah, definitely always happy to chat. I appreciate that. Richard, good, very good to chat with you again, my friend, and good to reconnect. And congratulations on your success and uh, continue to kill it. You guys are doing awesome. I love it. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate the opportunity to chat again. My pleasure. Have a good one. You too.